Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. And so God is doing amazing things. He's doing a lot of these amazing things through you. I just really believe we're in a next level season in our life, and I believe that God has sent us a next level leader to speak to us tonight. So, Pastor Rick, thank you so much for investing in our church and what God is doing. Uh, if you're not aware, Pastor Rick is our our general, our assistant general superintendent of the Assemblies of God uh, USA. He's been a pastor. He's been a district superintendent. And uh, and so we're just so thankful that, that both of you guys are here today. Thank you for investing in us. Would y'all make them feel welcome one more time? God bless you. One, two, yep, there we go, all right. Well, it's an honor to be here, Pastor, and it's good to be with everyone. It's good to be back. It's good to be back on the other side of COVID and realize you didn't just survive, you thrived. God is doing great things, and uh, what God began, he continues to do. You know, if we could, if we spend a little time talking about the COVID stuff that we've come through, we understand quickly that God has used that to the advantage of the church. A little bit of purging took place. Did y'all notice any of that? Right. A little bit of cleansing, a little bit of faith building, uh, some good stuff. Because God causes all things to work together for good. Right. And COVID is no exception to that, to that rule that God has put in place. And there's been a lot of good. There was a lot of pain and suffering. We lost friends. Most of us did. That part we don't like. But in the midst of that, God still brought about some good things. And most of our churches have two testimonies that I'm hearing when I travel about COVID. Number one is... Financially, we're in great shape. COVID didn't hurt us financially. We thought it was going to. We were prepared for it too, but somehow it didn't. God supplied all our needs just like he said he would. And we hear that report. Number two, we hear that now that we've come out of it, we're coming out of it better equipped to grow than we were before. That we had some some stagnation and some other issues in the church that we didn't even know we had. And coming out of it, we're actually healthier than we were going into it. I'm hearing that a lot, and I'm seeing it right here in front of me today, that that's what God's doing. And you know what, church? There will be some other stuff in the future. Hey, welcome to life. Welcome to life. You know, there's no way that God can bring a, bring a nation to revival or even a person to revival unless they reach a place where they realize what they've been doing is not going to work. There's just no other way to get there. And so for God to allow some things to happen to our nation, to teach our nation that what they've been doing is not going to work, we may have to go through some things with them. The difference is that God's going to supply our needs according to his riches and glory, and we're going to go through those things. But at the end of those things, there could be the greatest harvest we have ever seen. So, so don't, maybe COVID is part teaching us not to be afraid when the unusual comes. It's kind of got us ready so that if he does some other things, allows some other things, we'll say, well, he got us through COVID, he'll get us through this. And we won't be shaken and we won't be afraid. We won't, we won't let fear rule. We'll keep faith alive. And so in the wisdom of our God, he knows what he's doing, and he's up to something really big right now in this nation. I believe that with all my heart. I'm, I'm going to teach in a minute, but remember the story of Elijah when uh, he got up on Mount Carmel. And he called all the prophets of Baal, and then he called all the nation of Israel. Come up here and let's see whose God is God. And they were like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let the God that answers by fire be God. They liked that. But here's what he did. He called the prophets of Baal, and he said, you go first. And it was from morning till evening. And during that entire day, they started out by doing whatever they do, however they prayed to Baal, but nothing happened. And then he told them they needed to be louder. So they thought, great, thank you, prophet. That We didn't realize how quiet we were. We'll get louder now. And so they got louder. And then louder didn't seem to work. And he said, well, maybe it's a timing issue. Your God may have had to step out and go to the restroom. He'll be back. And um, he actually said that. You read it. It's in there. It's pretty funny. And, uh, and then uh, so they said, you're right. We got to stick with it. Don't give up now. And they've got, and then he encouraged them again. And they just keep trying harder and harder. And after a while, you look at Elijah and say, whose side are you on? You're doing your best to get them. He said, well, here's the thing I know. I know their God can't answer them. But they don't know their God can't answer them. And they need to know it before my God sends an answer. So that they won't think Christianity is an option. They'll know Christianity is the only way to go to heaven. And God's got to do some things in our nation to get them to the end of their foolishness. So don't be surprised when some stuff happens 
and when, when things get worse before they get better, and it almost seems like they get more aggressive and more determined, and, but it's not going to work for them. We all know that. And when they finally reach the point where somebody throws up his hands and said, you know, they were beat up and bloody. They'd cut each other. They'd beat each other. They'd tried all kinds of things. They'd cut themselves. They had done all they could, and they couldn't get an answer. And finally, he said, come here and stand by me. And they said, okay, we're tired. And he built the altar, and he said, God, show these people you're God and that I'm your servant. And the fire fell. Just like that. And I'm telling you, church, God's doing two things. He's going to get this nation ready, and he's also getting his church ready. So that we can say, no big fanfare, no big deal. God, you show them. You're God, and we're your church. And the fire's going to fall. And we're going to see the greatest harvest we've ever seen. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that with all my heart. That our best days are in front of us. So I think all that COVID stuff is just helping us to get ready. to, while, the, while some things happen that are uncomfortable for us, we'll know that our God's got this. So tomorrow, I'm going to teach through the seven days of creation, and I'm going to do it in a short period of time, but it should take seven hours, because <laughs> each one of those days is an hour's worth of teaching, because it's just too good, and, and I, there's just, God just did too much in those days, but, so, but I'm going to just give them the highlights, pop, 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 and then we're going to show them the big picture, and that's it, and, and it's going to be great. We're going to have a good time, but the first day... I'm going to give to you in more, de more detail. Because what God dis does on the first day of creation sets up a lot of things. Now, now I know we're, we could say, well, well, yeah, he, he created, he did, he released. He, I know. But in every one of those days, there's spiritual insights. Every one of those days gives understanding that can help us. And here's what God did in those seven days. And I'll say this again tomorrow. But God begins our story, your story, my story, the story of man, he begins our story with a mess. What I mean by that is when, when Moses wrote the story of creation and wrote the book of Genesis, the Lord inspired him not to start with nothing. Now, we know that in Hebrews, Hebrews declares that there was nothing and God spoke. And the word of God turned nothing into something. We know that. But when when in Genesis, when he's telling our story, that's not where he starts. He starts with a mess that's unproductive. It's uh, ineffective. It's a glob. It's just yuck. It's, there's nothing. And there's no value in it. It just looks like a mess. And how cool is it that God starts our story there? Because most of us start our walk with God right there with the mess. I'm in trouble, I've got a mess, I'm non-productive, I'm void, I'm empty, and the darkness is covering the face of my deep. That's where I'm at. That's where we start. So God starts our story there, and then when we see what he does, that within seven days, he gets to the end of it, and we're really on the sixth, days, sixth day, he said, everything I've done is not just good, it's very good. And the mess became a masterpiece. And what God's doing in our life is turning our mess into a masterpiece. And what God's doing in this world, when he gets through, you read the end of the story, we end up with Jesus on the throne, the millennial reign of God. I mean, I don't have time to go there, but it's going to be a masterpiece. So God is up to something pretty incredible. Now, that first day, though, what happens, which tomorrow I'm just going to barely be able to introduce it, but it's such a leadership thing that when we get it right, it helps us get everything else right when we begin to understand how God does what he does. So tomorrow, don't miss church because you want the rest of this. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Incredible things are happening here that it's, there's just too much. First of all, I want you to recognize this, that God declared light on the first day, but he didn't create, create the sun till the fourth day. Let's let that soak for a minute. 
He declared light on the first day, but he did not create sun. The sun that we understand, that's where our light source comes from, is the sun, whether it's reflection off the moon or, or there's a few stars that are actually giving off some light. But the big stars, the sun, it's where our light comes from. And so we think of light and sun as one and the same. But God declared, let there be light before there was sun. I love what Henry Blackaby says in his explanation of that word there. He said, what that word really means is an enemy to the darkness. Because prior to that moment, darkness ruled over the face of the deep. Darkness was in charge. And as long as darkness was in charge, we had a mess. And so God spoke to the darkness and said, I'm going to give you opposition. I'm going to give you an opponent. I'm not going to let you any longer be in charge without something coming up against you. And once darkness had opposition, then God had to establish, I'm going to put some lines in place. And there's going to be evening and morning and day and night, and we get all that. But he's separating darkness from light. The two can't share the same space. That when the light comes on, the darkness has to be gone. And it's an incredible spiritual insight for us. That darkness was not destroyed is important for us as leaders to understand. God didn't completely get rid of darkness. He didn't say, there will be no more darkness from this moment. There will only be light. No, he just simply created light. Darkness was still there, but now darkness had an opposition. And so this opposition or this enemy literally forced darkness into a corner and into its place. When the light came on, the darkness could only get in a place where it could hide or get behind or get on the other side. And we see this shift begin to take place. The fact that darkness was not destroyed, and it is still an enemy, is still true to us today. That the darkness, which all through the scripture, especially when you get into John, and he begins to teach us about Jesus and saying he is the light of the world. And darkness comprehended him not. And we, oh man, there's so much there that I don't even have time to do tonight. But there's this dynamic of dark and light that becomes actually an ongoing process of understanding good and evil, God and devil, sin and righteousness as the battle takes place for the fullness of the cosmic reality of what God's doing in the world. And so now the devil has an enemy. Now darkness has an enemy. The light has come on. And where the light is, things begin to be one way. And where darkness is, things are another way. And so what we need to do is get light where there's darkness. Are you with me so far? <clears throat> Excuse me. So what, <clears throat> what happens when the light comes on? Well, a few things happen. One is, once there was light, there was revelation. Prior to light, it was, it was bad, but nobody knew it was bad. It was void and empty and unproductive, but nobody could see that it was void and empty and unproductive. God knew because he was God, but no one else could have known until the light came on that light brings revelation. It brings insight. It brings truth. It brings vision. Suddenly, we can see what we couldn't see. We can know what we couldn't know. We can understand what we couldn't understand before. When the light comes on, everything begins to shift and move to a whole another level. So at first, darkness was everywhere. By the time we get to the, let me just throw this in there. By the time we get to Revelation 22 and 4, here's what it says. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. Somebody say amen. That's what we, we, he could have done that up front, but it's not what he did up front. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And so what he begins in that little moment of man, before man is created, let there be an enemy to the darkness. Well, that enemy ends up being the light. And in the end, darkness is completely defeated and light is completely established. You and I are in the middle of that process. It's taking place right now, the spiritual light. Now, I'm not speaking about the sun's coming and going. No, I'm speaking about the spiritual impact that's going on as the light of God comes into light, into your heart, into my heart, into this church, into this city. As the light comes on, people can see what they couldn't see before. And when darkness reigns, the devil gets away with what he shouldn't be getting away with. It's that simple. And I love Proverbs 29:18, where it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Or they cast off restraints. They make bad decisions. They take wrong turns. But he that keeps the law. Now, what's the law? It's the Bible. Remember, the Bible said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light. Here it is. To my path. 
the world provides the vision, and it goes on to say, and happy is he. The word provides a vision, and happy is he that has vision. Correct is it, it is when there's vision, when the church can see, when leaders can see. Where there is no vision, people do all kind of bad things. When the light comes on, happy is he. Good things happen. It's a shift in the dynamic, walking in the light. And the word of God is, is the light. We'll, we'll talk about that more as we go forward. But what I want you to get today is the importance and the power of revelation. See, that revelation, that spiritual illumination or revelation, really creates a, creates a three-part process. Number one, when the light comes on, the first thing I see is me. It's, a, it's a, in my reality. It's, it's my present reality. What, what it does when the light comes on is I actually see my circumstance, my life, myself, my family, my whatever that's, that is right now, whatever is present, I see it correctly, not incorrectly. See, one of the things I've noticed <clears throat> all my years of pastoring is that dysfunctional families that do not know they're dysfunctional are not helpable. That the first thing they have to say is, we're really messed up. I mean, there has to be a moment where they understand there, that there's dysfunction. And if, you, if they can't see it as dysfunction, and they don't always see it as dysfunction because it's all they've ever known, and it's because what their parents knew and what their parents knew, and so this dysfunction has, has actually begun to be rewarded and expected and accepted, but it's still dysfunctional. It's that mess hiding in the darkness. Does that make sense? And then the light comes on, and all of a sudden, one of the kids comes home and says, we're dysfunctional. And the parents go, no, this is normal. No. No, I've been going to some of the other homes of the church people. They're not like this. I have a different, I have a different revelation. I've been walking in the light. And when I come back with the revelation of the light, and I come look at this, I'm going to tell you, Mom and Dad, you guys are very dysfunctional. You're messed up. And so they, they begin to walk. Well, that's what's got to happen. There has to be a moment where the light comes on and I see the truth about me. You, you're going to go to heaven soon. Well, not soon. But, um, <clears throat> but when you go there, it's going to be good. That's, that's all I got to say. Yeah, let's keep you around a while. At least through, yeah, that's right. That didn't come out right. You know, I was kidding, God. Don't do that. All right. <clears throat> so when the light comes on, there's, I see things about me that I've never seen before. When God's doing a new work in my life, one of the things he'll do is, is he'll just re reveal something to me that, and I, I'm thinking, God, that's not me. I'm really better than that. And God said, really? <laughs> and yeah, but you know, and then he just keeps, and then I'm going, is this really, this is, I'm really like that. Yeah, you really are. You've been that way a long time. You've been living in a lie to yourself. You've been believing by comparing yourself to the wrong things, by doing, you got the, and so you really can't go where you think you should go because there's really stuff going on in you. And so the gift I'm going to give you is revelation. It's the best thing I can do to you is show you the real you. Well, I don't like the real me. Let's go back into, uh, Hiding. Let's, don't let me know. I liked life better when I was dysfunctional, but didn't know I was dysfunctional. I was happy in my dysfunction. And now I'm accountable for my dysfunction. That's a part of revelation. But it's the beginning. Of, it's, it's the gift of God to us when he begins to show us those things. The truth about me, the truth about my family, the truth about my church, the truth about my city, the truth about on and on and on. You get it. It's that first part of this revelation that shows me and helps me to establish a proper assessment of my present reality. So when the light came on on the mess, what they saw was the mess. The mess didn't get better. It was just revealed. It didn't become productive. It was just revealed. The fact that it wasn't productive was now out in the open. The fact that it was messed up was now revealed for others to see. And so it could no longer be hid. <clears throat> and most of us love hiding our dysfunction from others. That's why on Facebook we lie. <laughs> it's a good time to drink water. I, I, have, uh, I have noticed what everybody's story on Facebook is so great about themselves. And then I meet them. Anyway, I'll keep going. And then number two, number two is not only does that 
revelation bring me an understanding of my present reality, but that divine revelation also gives me a clearer understanding or a deeper understanding, an increased understanding of who God is. The light shines back on him also. And all of a sudden, I see God in a way I've never seen God before. And I think, man, I know God. Well, you do know God, but you don't know all of God. Yeah, but I know God. We're close. We've been walking together. I know, but as as close as you are, you don't know God. God's God's more than you're going to know in the next two million years completely. I'm telling you, he's something. He's something. I love to tell the story about the seraphim as they're flying around back in, the, back in, when, uh, in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6. He sees the seraphim. He gets into the presence of the Lord, and he sees the seraphim, and one's crying to the other, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And then and it's like, then that one cries back to that one, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And then the other one cries, holy, holy. And it's like, it's like they're seeing God for the first time. It's like they fly two feet and they look back and go, oh, I've never seen God from this, from this perspective. I didn't know God was this holy. And then they, the other one says, you should see him from over here. He's incredible. And that's a pretty exciting story. And then you go all the way to Revelation and John ends up in the same place 4,000 years later. And he sees them still flying and they're still going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They're still awed by who he is. They're still seeing him as though it was for the first time. And we have a revelation of God some time ago, and we've been trying to live our life at this level with that level of revelation of who God is, and we can't get there unless God gives us new revelation. He has to show us something about him, and usually he shows us something about us that creates a desperation, and that desperation puts us in a place to see something new about him. And he shows us something about He doesn't show us what's wrong with us to depress us or discourage us, but just to awaken us that we need more of him. And then he shows us who he is in a way. And so it's this incredible process. And then, then after we've seen him and his will and his power in a new way, and then he wants to show us purpose like we've never seen purpose. He wants to give us that part of vision, which has to do with where we're going, what we can do, what his will is for us, what his purpose is for us. But vision doesn't begin by seeing where we need to go or what we're going to do. Vision can't go there until I have a present, a moment of my present reality and who I really am. I've got to see where I am before I can know how to get where I'm going. And then I've got to see a God big enough to get me there in spite of me. And when I see those three things in place, it's all that part of the divine revelation of God. It's that moment of let there be light. And that moment of let there be light was then, but it's now. It's God speaking right now to us and saying, let there be light. Let there be revelation. Let there be an enemy to the darkness that shrouded that. Let there be an enemy to the darkness that's kept you from seeing who you really are. Let there be an enemy to the darkness that's kept you from seeing God. Let there be an enemy from the darkness that's kept you from seeing your purpose, your call, and your potential. And that enemy gets pushed back by the revelation of God. Hmm. It's so important for us to grasp this. True vision. True vision has to be enabled by a God-given revelation. I, I, and there's some different ways. We'll, we'll wrap up with that in just a moment. Luke 24, 25 said this. They're, they're actually, this is, this is the road to Emmaus. They're, they're walking, this is after the, after the resurrection, but before the ascension. And Jesus joins these guys, and they're walking toward Emmaus. And they're having this walk, and he says, what are you guys talking about? And they say, oh, we're, don't you know what's going on? Hadn't you heard about the, about the death of, the, of Jesus Christ, the guy who worked all the miracles? And, and now some are saying that he's risen from the dead. Some are saying they've seen him alive. And he's just, well, he said, well, he said, well yeah. And so then it said, look at this, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He opened their minds. What does that tell me? This is the same guys Jesus had been with, and he had been telling them and telling them and telling them and telling them and telling them, but they couldn't see it. And then on this day, the timing was right. The moment was right. He opens their mind. And now when he tells them the story from Genesis all the way through, he shows himself in all that Old Testament. By the time he gets there, they're going, wow, our hearts are burning within us. It's that divine moment of God opening their mind. It's that moment of divine revelation. Psalms 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I might see the wonderful things in your law. That needs to be our prayer, amen? There's so much more. We've been shrouded in darkness. What if, what if we could see? 
Ephesians 1.18, Paul's praying for the Ephesians. He said, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you can see. Oh, that's a powerful passage. I may come. I'm going to do it now. It's not in the notes because I, I wasn't going to take this much time, but I'm going to do this anyway. If you read that full passage, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And then he said, so that you may. And then he gives us some things. Number one, he said, so that you may know the hope of your calling. Wow. So he starts on the vision end. He starts on that purpose. He said, I want you to know what God's hoping you'll do. God has a purpose for your life. I want you to see that purpose and know that purpose. I want divine revelation to come to you that you know you're not just living. You, you have an assignment. You have a purpose. You have reason. I want you to know that. And then he says, and I want you to know the riches, the riches of God who has called you. Now, why do you want to know the riches? I'll tell you why you want to know the riches. You want to know that whatever God's called you to do, he can afford to pay for Mm, that'll preach all day long. He said, I, you, you're acting like a bunch of poor people and paupers. Like, you don't, don't you know who your daddy is? Your daddy's the God of God and the King of kings. Begin to think outside of your little inability. Begin to see your God as a mighty God. You need your eyes open. Let the light shine on that. Look, at, look into the fullness of God and see all that gold and all that silver. Don't you know that he said all the money is mine? Don't you know he said all the cows are and all the hills under them are mine. Don't you know that God said the earth is mine and the fullness thereof? You think God's got a problem when he calls you to do something? Don't disqualify yourself because you can't afford it. Because your God can't afford it. And then he said, and then he said, and he's strong enough to do it. I'll, that you might know his mighty strength, which he exerted when. And then he tells the story. He tells the story of Jesus going into the pit of hell. At the time of the cross and his death. And that in the grip of the death angel and the demonic evil dark. That God reaches down, he said. And gets a hold of him and pulls him up past principalities, powers of the air and spiritual wickedness. Through every work the devil could do, every effort he could give, nothing could stop him. And he brings him all the way up. And Paul's on a roll by now. He's writing this, and there's an anointing on him. He said he pulls him all the way up, and he didn't just put him on the earth. He seated him at his right hand in glory. Now, if he can take Jesus out of that and take him all the way into heaven. Don't you think he can take you where you are and pull you up into where you need to be? Wow. He said, I, I want you to begin to walk in a revelation different. I want you to begin to see you different and God different and purpose different. Because your, your revelation of yourself and of God and of your call really has an impact on what you do. Is the darkness in charge or is the light in charge? Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter, I like Simon. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now Jesus immediately, blessed are you, Simon Son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Son, you have just stepped into divine revelation. You have just stepped out of the darkness of the world into the light. You are seeing something that man did not show you. God showed you by divine revelation. And I'm telling you, Peter, it's on this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. How does the church advance? By divine revelation. How does the sinner know he's a sinner? Because the Holy Spirit draws him to the Father. Because the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. Because of a divine work that's in process. It's not just our good preaching. I hope we get to participate a little bit. I hope we're helping in our testimony matters. We know all that. But there's this other piece that's not us. It's the working of the Holy Spirit to bring revelation to somebody. That Jesus is Lord. That they are a sinner. And 
and he's a savior. There's that divine revelation moment that takes place in the very beginning. And in the same way, every time we go from level one to level two, it's because we had a new revelation. Every time it's that walking, he says, and he opened their minds and they begin to see what they couldn't see. Something happens when the light comes on and we never get out of where we are to go where God wants us to be without revelation because our present revelation is our present lid. Can I say that again? Our present revelation is our present lid. How you see yourself, how you see God, how you see your potential. Wherever that is, that's where you are. And you can't go to the next level without God saying to you, let there be light and new revelation coming to you. Wow, David, David's revelation of God... He, he saw God in a way they, those soldiers hadn't seen God. He saw God in a way those, those fighting men and his brothers and even King Saul had not seen God. And his revelation of God and his revelation of his own self, though he was a kid, his divine revelation caused him to step forward and face a giant while everyone else stood and trembled in fear. His revelation allowed him to do something they couldn't do. His insight from God, how he saw it all. He walked up and said, who's going to take that giant? Who is going to stop that big mouth giant from bad mouthing my God? Who's going to run down? Which one of you guys are going to do this? They're all going, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. You're just making this, you're just, you're just a little runt. You don't know anything. If you've been here like us, you'd know we can't do. No, because it's the blind leading the blind. Because you're covered in darkness and shrouded in fear. And you can't see anything. And you all see it that way because you're operating in darkness. David comes up operating in the light. And he doesn't see an issue at all. <coughs> he, says, he says, let me at him. And they say, well, David, you shouldn't go at him because... You're not trained. And he said, you guys think somehow by your training, you're going to be able to defeat the enemy. Let me tell you, you got the training, but you've been trained in darkness, not trained in light. And all your darkness is keeping you from being able to do anything. You got all the skill, but if you don't have the light, the skill won't replace the light. It's still about the revelation. It's not even about the experience. He said, and then the king says, well, who are you? What have you done? He said, well, I killed a bear one time. How'd that go? He said, well, I, he came up on me, and we wrestled, and I killed him. He said, you mean you hand-to-hand combat with a bear, and you killed him? Yes, sir, because the Lord helped me. He said, well, that's pretty good. Have you ever killed a man? No, but I killed a lion one time. Well, how'd that go? Well, I grabbed him by his beard, and I cut his throat. He said, you mean he was face-to-face? Yep, yep, he thought he was going to get me, so I let him get close enough so I could get to him. He said, you're crazy. And then he said, he said, well, here, put on, here's, my, here's my stuff. Put on all my protection, and, and here's my sword, and here's my shield. Here's my he said, I, I don't know how to do any of that. All I know how to do is trust in God because I see my God different than anybody else here sees God. Something happens when we begin to see God differently than we've seen him, when the light comes on. Something happens when we be, Is all this making sense to you? Elijah, Elisha followed Elijah while all the other students stayed behind the Jordan River because he saw something they didn't see. Peter stepped out of the boat while the others watched because he saw something they didn't see. See, something about the level of your revelation has made you what you are, where you are, and it's why you are where you are. But you let God show you something you hadn't seen yet, and everything will change. And don't be upset when the first thing he shows you is what's wrong with you. Because you're not right, and I'm not right, there's a lot of work left to be done on us. And so when God shows me a little something, and I say, oh, God, I, got that. I thought my heart was pure, and I was almost perfect. I thought I was almost like Jesus. I didn't think my friends could tell you and I apart. And he said, you're worse off than I thought you were. <laughs> No, you got this. Oh, God, I hate that. I just, I repent. I turn away. I just can't believe that's in me. But that revelation is a part of the process. I see something in me. So when you first see something negative in yourself, instead of getting all uptight about it, say, been there the whole time, hasn't it, Lord? You'll say, yes, it has been. And you've used me in spite of that. Yes, I have. But if we're going to go to the next level, we're going to have to deal with that. 
Well, God, I don't know how to deal with it. He said, let me show you something about me you didn't know. Because together we can deal with that. That's all a part of that process. And then all of a sudden, I'm up a little higher. I see a little further. I go, oh, God, see that? We can do that. And God said, I know, that's been there the whole time too. But from your level of revelation, you couldn't see it. And you couldn't understand what I was up to. This is, this is that power of let there be light. Everything begins right there in day one. Let there be light. The first thing that you must have is God to open your eyes. So my question then is, what are you seeing now? I may have skipped a slide or two, but trust me. What are you seeing now? You don't know, and I don't know either. I, I'm telling you, this is, this is where it gets a little difficult. I think I'm seeing correctly, but I'm not sure I am. But I have to go with what I see. I have to start somewhere. So what are you seeing now? How do you see your life? How do you see your value before God? How do you see God? And you've got to say, God, this is what I see. And then ask him. Ask him this question. Am I seeing men as trees? Remember the blind man, Jesus healed him, and he touched him the first time, and he says, can you see? He said, yes, I can see now, but I can't see clearly. I only see men like trees. They all look fuzzy to me. He said, let me touch you again. And the second touch released him to see clearly. Some of us have got just enough revelation that we've been seeing life as fuzzy for a long time, and we've thought we're supposed to see life as fuzzy, but God's got another touch for you. There's some clarity God wants to bring that you haven't had. My little grandson, he's been going to school for a while. He's in the fourth grade. Well, last year, he just finally had to say, I'm having a hard time seeing from back here. So they moved him up, and so they did eye test, and they put glasses on him, and he's like, well, look at the world. I didn't know all that stuff was here. What a great moment for me. This is exciting. The thing is, he had, he had, he had been that way so long, he just thought that's what things really looked like. He needed that. But some of us have been seeing things this way so long, we think that's what it's like. But with a second touch from God, that fuzziness can go away, and we can begin to see some things. And so you may say, this is it. Yeah, it's it, because it's all you've seen. But if you'll ask God, is this it? Is this it? So I pray for a complete revelation of your present reality, your spiritual reality, your relational reality, your ministry reality, that God would just show you. So how do we get there, Pastor? I, I know I'm, I'm there now. My goal was to get you out at 730. I think we can do it. Number one, you ready? Read the Bible more and slower. Read the Bible more and slower. And read it to hear the voice of God, not just to accomplish some agenda that you've set for your Bible reading for the day. For the word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. I'm telling you, there is nothing that's going to help you see better than the Bible. Nothing. And a lot of folks are where they are today in their walk with God because the lack of time they spend in the Bible. They could be much further down the road if they just spent more time in the Word. Somebody say amen. amen. Even if it's oh me. But I'm telling you, that's number one. Get your Bible out. If you want to read it on your phone, that works. That's fine. Read it on your phone. If you want to read it in a computer, get out your computer. If you want to read it in King James Version, that's good. If you want NIV, I'm all for you. If you want to read it in the Amplified, it's going to take a while, but get after it. Yeah. <laughs> Amplified's good. I just, I just get out the Bible and start reading it and slow down. We're not trying to read the whole thing through this week. We're trying to see something we've not seen before. <laughs> not just in the book, but in me. James said, it's like looking in a mirror. James said, you see, when you read it, it's like read it, looking in a mirror. And it's going to show you something about you. Now fix it. He said, what man looks in, sees what's wrong, and then forgets about it and stays that way? No, if your hair's messed up and you're looking in the mirror, you comb your hair. <coughs> if you have hair. And then, I don't know if that applies to anybody here. 
Not so we just keep going. So uh, love you, Pastor. I'm sorry, buddy. Matter of fact, all the guys at my table, you guys are glory guys. I like it. The anointing is all over you guys. That's just too great. That's just too great. <laughs> I've only got about another year before I do be on your side. Anyway, so read the Bible. Read it more and read it slower. Number two, connect with people who can see farther than you can. I love to tell the story of my first hunting, deer hunting trip with my dad. He had given me the 30-30 lever action. He shot his first deer with it, and it was only going to be right that I would shoot my first deer with it. Today, all my boys and grandsons, everybody, we're trying to have to shoot your first deer with that open sights, 30-30 Winchester, or else you're not really a hunter. And so that's the rule, and that's how life goes. So we're sitting there in that little uh, blind that he had built for us, and, and the sun was just coming up, and I mean, it was not up much. And we're cold. And why is it always cold? It's just cold. I'm just a little guy, about 10 years old. And I'm just sitting there shaking, trying to stay warm. And Dad said, you see him? I said, no. He said, son, he's right there. I don't see him. Are you blind? right there. I don't see him. He's got a rack on him. He's, he's, the, he's the animal with the horns. You can't see him? I'm going, Dad, I don't, I don't see him. So he takes the gun. Because you know, deer are designed to not be seen. You know, I mean, that's how God fixed this thing. And so he takes the gun and he lays it up and he said, look right down the sights. And when I do, oh, there he is. I see him. Now I'm shaking. <laughs> yeah, I see him. But he knew how to see them. I didn't know how to see them. Does that make sense? He was an old experienced seer. And he could see some stuff that I overlooked because I didn't have his experience. And he had to teach me how to look through the leaves and how to see. I had to learn that. And I had to learn it from somebody who already knew it. Is this starting to make sense to you? By the way, I got him, just so you don't want to know the end of that story. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. There are people in this room that can already see further than some of you can. Spend some time with them. Spend some time talking to people that see what you haven't seen. They may even see some stuff in you you haven't seen in you, both good and bad. They may have seen some things in God you haven't seen in God. Hang around with them, because it's not just for what they see, so that you learn how to see. They say, what did you see when you read that scripture? Well, I saw this and this. Well, when I read it, I saw this. And they go into a 14-hour sermon on everything wrapped up in that little scripture. You're going, you saw all that? All I saw was this. You saw, how do you do that? I'll tell you how you do it, by reading often and slow. Taking the time. Because the level of your revelation is the level of your lid. And if we don't move the revelation up, so that's two of the ways that you can do it. But time in the Bible, time with people that can see further than you can. Number three, stop hanging around with people that can't see. They'll talk you into being blind. They'll talk you into not seeing what God's doing. And to missing what God wants to do in your life. They'll talk you into living your life with your eyes closed. And they may want to close their eyes to reality, but you don't want to close your eyes to reality. You want to see the truth, for the truth will set you free. And sometimes you have to quit hanging around with people that can't see, hanging around with people that can see and spend time in the Word. One of the greatest stories, and this is my wrap-up this, this, this afternoon, one of the greatest stories, I think, in the Bible that illustrates this is is the story of Nehemiah. Now look at this. <clears throat> the city of Jerusalem is in a mess, kind of like our story. People are coming into Jerusalem, they're raping the women, they're stealing the stuff, everybody's afraid. It's just it's just a mess. It's just a bad place to live. <clears throat> Word gets to Nehemiah, who lives in Babylon and works for the king. 
and he was raised in the house of the king. And I mean, as a little boy, he's been, that's where he is. And he ends up being the cupbearer to the king. And so he grows up in this functional, well-designed, controlled environment. He is trained, taught, sees things completely different than these people that live in Jerusalem see things. They grew up in dysfunction. They grew up in slavery. They grew up in abuse. That's where they grew up. And so they see everything based on their experience. He sees everything based on his experience, and he sees it different. So when God's ready to deliver them, he looks at them and says, I don't see anybody here that could lead them out of this mess because it's the blind leading the blind. But he goes way up here to Babylon, and he gets a hold of this guy named Nehemiah. And then somebody comes, and Nehemiah says, How's the city of Jerusalem? And they say, it's terrible. The gates have been burned with fire. And they go on and tell him. He begins to weep and weep and weep. He begins to pray over the city. He's never been there. He's never been there. He begins to pray over the city and weep over the city of Jerusalem because he is a Jew. And it's home to him even if he's never been there. And so finally the king says to him, Nehemiah, why are you looking so sad? You're always happy. What's going on with you? Oh, it's my city, Jerusalem. He said, what are you going to do? He said, I want to go fix it. Do you know anything about it? Well, I'm a cupbearer. Well, what does that have to do with laying stone? What does that have to do with fixing walls? What does that have to do with fighting enemies? He said, not anything. But I can see something that nobody else can see. Just like David. It's your revelation that's going to determine it. So the king sends him. And when he gets back here, he, what does he do? He take, Are y'all still with me? He calls all the elders of the city together. And they say, now, who are you? Well, I'm from Babylon. I'm the, my daddy was and my granddaddy was. And he gives them all of, his, all of his pedigree so they'll listen to him. And he sets them down. I don't know where my guess is. That's just my story now, so I'll tell it my way. My guess is he sets them on the steps of the temple because, uh, because uh, Ezra had already built the temple. The temple was restored, the first part of it. And so he sets them on the steps of the temple. And he said, listen, church. He said, listen, church. You've built the temple. But the goal of God was never just to build a church. It's to take the city. By the way, that's for you too. The goal is never just to build a church. It's to take the city. And he said, and your city is in ruin. And they said, what? He said, no, I'm telling you. I've lived in a city that's not in ruin. I've lived in a city that functions well. I've lived in a city that protects its, its people. I've lived in a city where, where there's an economy that functions. I've lived in a good city. And this isn't it. My perspective is different than yours. That's that guy that can see coming back in. He said, let me show you. And so he takes three days to walk them through their city and show them their city. By the time they get back to the temple, they're weeping and crying. We didn't know it was this bad. Because he'd say, you see this? You see this? If this wall were fixed, if this wall were fixed, if this was fixed, what if we did this? What if we, and they got so fired up because for the first time they saw their city, number one, in its present reality. They wept for a while. They wept over their present reality, and they hadn't wept over it a long time. Number two, he said to them, I have letters from the king. And the king said, and so he starts reading all the letters. He's going to give us support in, in the military support. He's going to give us financial support. He's going to give us law, support with laws and decrees that's going to empower us. I got all that right here. And you know what that is to us? That's our Bible. That's our Bible. That's God saying, I've shown you the truth, but now what does my Bible say? What is my promises? What have I said? Who's God? So he showed them God. They had a fresh revelation of God's provision for them. And then he said, now, let's go do something about it. And you know the rest of the story. In 52 days, they got so fired up that they completely rebuilt all the walls around that city. And what had been left undone for literally 70 years was done in 52 days. Simply because they saw it differently than they had seen it before. Because God brought them somebody that could see what they couldn't see. Powerful story. And it's that same way with us. As good as it is for you, what if God showed you just something else? What if he gave you another fresh revelation? What if he opened your mind? What if he looked at you and said, let there be light? And that darkness that's still present began to flee in terror from the opposition of the light of God. And you begin to see more than you've ever seen. As leaders, it's the key. As leaders, you're Nehemiah. 
You're the one to show the church the light. You're the one to show them what you've already seen. As leaders, you're going to show them the things in the Bible you've seen. You're going to show them the things about the city they haven't seen. You're going to show them what you've seen. And every time you move, the, you walk in Revelation like Nehemiah, you share that Revelation, and the whole church begins to walk in new Revelation. And from Revelation to Revelation, we go up and up and up, and the lid just keeps getting knocked off, and darkness just keeps getting pushed back and defeated. And when darkness cannot reign, then there cannot be defeat. Because darkness does a lot of stuff happens in the dark, but it doesn't happen when the light comes on. Devils are like roaches. Turn the lights on, they'll leave the room every time. That's just the power and the work of God in our life. That's day one. I'm going to do the other days tomorrow, and I'm going to do them not like that. I don't have that much time tomorrow. But it's so important as leaders, you get day one really well. Because that's the first thing God shows us in the Bible. It's how he begins our story. And it's how your story began too. There was a day when God said to you, let there be light. And you saw him. And you believed him. You may have been five years old. You may have been 55 years old. But somewhere you came to the reality, Jesus is Lord. The light came on. And with every new light and new revelation, you go to a new level. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be with you tonight. These are incredible people, incredible people, this powerful church. Or these are your people. They're holy people. They've been saved. They've put their faith in you and their belief in you. They trust in you. And yet I know they're like me. I know they're living at the level of revelation that they have. And you could easily give them another level of revelation and with that, this whole church could go to a new level and take this city the way Nehemiah took his city. Lord, in 52 days, you could take this city if we had the revelation to walk in and the understanding. I pray in Jesus' name that you would look over this incredible house filled with leaders and say, let there be light. Let there be revelation. Let there be new insight. Let there be new understanding. Bring to the surface that which has been hidden in the darkness. Let the light shine and drive away the shadows. Let their eyes be open to see, not as trees, but with clarity. Let them understand who they are and where they are and what you need to do. Let them know who you are, O oh God, in a way they've never known you. And let them know the potential, the hope to which they have been called. I pray this in Jesus' name, and I believe you're doing it, and I receive it with glory. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Pastor? Wow, thank you so much, brother. Appreciate it. Man, good stuff. And before someone asks me, uh, give, just show him your appreciation. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day and God bless.